The following message is brought to you by George Lawson, Jr., pastor and Bible teacher with Baltimore Bible Church. We will be reading from the New American Standard Bible. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So now let's open our Bibles and follow along with Pastor George as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. Well, let's take our Bibles and uh, open up to the book of Daniel. Uh, we're back in the book of Daniel as we continue our exposition uh, through this book. And uh, today we're finally getting into the meat of the book of Daniel. We're going to get into the meat of the book of Daniel, even though Daniel and his friends got away from the meat in Babylon. And uh, we'll talk about that a little later on today. And uh, what we'll discover is really the central issue of this text is how do I protect my purity in a polluted society? How do I protect my purity in a polluted society? Do you think that has any application for us today? Pollution is the, the air that we breathe, and I'm not talking about physical air pollution. I'm talking about the moral corruption of our day. It's the air that we breathe, the polluted society. I was listening uh, recently to a, a pastor and an apologist who was trying to make the case that our societies are actually getting better and better. And one of the things that he pointed to uh, was the advances that we've made in technology, like the in invention of the, the cell phone and how you can broadcast the gospel on, on social media all over the world. And we're so thankful for that, aren't we? Yeah. We're thankful for the, the graces that the Lord gives us. I, I praise the God for the ability to, to reach the, the nations through technology. Actually, our, our messages uh, here at uh, Baltimore Bible Church have been downloaded in places like the UK, Canada, Japan, Nigeria, Australia, New Zealand, France, South Africa, Uganda. That's, that's a short list of some of the places that our uh, services have been downloaded. And we have no idea what the Lord is going to do with all of that. It's unprecedented, the kind of access uh, that we have to the gospel all across the world today. And our prayer would echo what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1, where he said, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. We thank God for that kind of ministry. We're grateful for the ways that the Lord uses that. But let me ask you uh, parents out there a question. Do you spend more time encouraging your children to be on their cell phones and social media because of all the positive influences? That are out there? Or do you spend more time warning your children about the use of their cell phones and social media because of all the pollution that's out there? Where do you spend more of your time? Much of what's out there now is pollution. We're, we're living in an evil age. That's what the scripture tells us. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4. It says the age that we're living in now is a present evil age. And we're bombarded by that constantly. According to one report, on average, Americans spend two hours, 54 minutes on their phones each day. The average American will spend nearly a month and a half, 44 days of your year in 2022 on the phone. On average, we check our cell phones once every four minutes. And I checked that statistic on my cell phone. <laughs> and 82% of the time, on a cell phone is not talking, it's social media, gaming, other apps, almost half of Americans, 47%, admit to being addicted, and the other half are in denial. 
but I think we would all agree that the advances of technology are matched by the corruption of technology, the pollution of it. I'm actually amazed at how quickly our technology is used for corruption. A few years ago, I was visiting um, a flight museum, and I saw a replica of the Kitty Hawk Flyer, you know, the, the first airplane uh, that had a sustained flight in America. December 17th, 1903, the Wright brothers had the first sustained flight in Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Uh, the, the airplane was airborne for a record 12 seconds, over 120 feet, 12 seconds in the air. That was in December 17th, 1903. On December 1903, the first flight, in October 23rd, 1911, airplanes were being used for war. That's eight years later, after the first sustained flight. Eight years later, planes are already being used for war. It's unbelievable. We come up with the new technology, and quickly after that, that technology is being used for corruption. Corruption. For all the, the good that technology does and brings us, it's used for the war against your minds, isn't it? It's used for a war against your minds. Spreading lies, misinformation, even heresy. Tempting us to be discontent with our lives, our looks, our status in life. So much depression starts on the screen. Porn pornographic images, sexually explicit material. It's, it's worth noting that the uh, personal video recorder became available in the 70s and 80s. And almost simultaneously, immediately, it was being used to make pornography wildly available. Immediately. Same was true about the Internet when it launched in 1993. Immediately started to be used to spread pornography worldwide. Technology is used to aid criminals in identity theft, stalking, fraud, illegal surveillance. You know, how many times have you had a conversation only to look at your phone later and whatever you were talking about is now on your screen? You know, I'm not saying, I'm just saying, right? <laughs> and then there's the wasted stewardship of time. Now, 44 days out of your year, looking down at this, <laughs> there's pollution and corruption everywhere we look. The age that we're living in now is a present evil age. And rather than from going from good to better, it goes from bad to worse. And the encouragement for Daniel wasn't, you know, hey, Daniel, be encouraged there in Babylon because, you know, things are just going to get better. Be encouraged, Daniel, because uh, we're going to take Babylon over. You know, everything's going to be all right. You know, everything's going to be all right now. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry about it, Daniel. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have better days in Babylon. That is not Daniel's encouragement. His encouragement was that the king of kings is still on his throne, and one day all of these kingdoms will be turned into dust, and I will give you the grace to live a purified life even right now in the midst of an overwhelming, polluted society. I'll give you the grace to do that. You can live as an overcomer in any circumstance. That's the message that we have. The pollution of the world around us is not so overpowering that we have to walk around in its stench. The world around us is not that powerful. We are overcomers in Christ. 1 John 5 and verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. And that's not some kind of negative, pessimistic, defeatist attitude. It's far from it. It's the kind of faith that says I could be completely outmanned, outgunned, outmatched, but with God, five stones and a slingshot can take down a giant. 
You know, are you ready for that kind of faith? I mean, that's what Daniel's talking about here. It doesn't matter what's going on in the world around you, that you can live pure in a polluted society, that you can live as an overcomer even in a dark and evil day. And that's an encouragement for us because that's the kind of time that we live in. And what Daniel and his three friends demonstrate is that you could be completely overwhelmed in Babylon. Your king could be a a puppet who pays taxes to the enemy. Your vessels of worship could be confiscated and held in an exhibit in Babylon. And your fellow countrymen all around you could be caving into the pressure to conform. You know, just just shut up and and pass the pork chops. You know, we, we don't have the right to say anything here. We've got to eat the king's meat. Why are you going to be outside? Why why are you going to be the outlier here? Just just get in line. All of that was true in Babylon, but Daniel and his three friends were able to beat the nation of Babylon in a food fight. (laughs) I like what Luther said. God plus one is a majority. He's all we need. And this is an incredible text that demonstrates the power of our God and king over the pagan nations. Why don't you take a look with me at Daniel chapter 1. I'll go ahead and uh, start at verse 1 just for the sake of context. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice, food and from the wine which he drank, and appointed that they should be educated three years at the end of which they were to enter the king's personal service. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. To Daniel he assigned the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Why don't you bow with me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we're so grateful for your word and the way that it instructs us, the way that we're inspired by it, just motivated to live lives of godliness, knowing that he who is with us is more than he who is against us, that the God who dwells within us is more than the world outside. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us to live lives of purity, lives of devotion, freedom from defilement, and Father, we can do that because we serve the same God that Daniel did. In Jesus' name we praise you and give you thanks. Amen. Let me just uh, remind you of the context again. Uh, the context, uh, 605 B.C., as we've already learned, Babylon was the rising star, the superpower, defeated the might of the Egyptian army in the Battle of Carchemish, and Nebuchadnezzar, who was about to take the throne of his dying father, returned to Babylon with some of the spoils of war, which included the spoils from Judah. And why was Judah besieged? I mean, he's in a battle against Egypt. Why is, why is he going to Judah to take, you know, treasures from, from Judah? It's because Judah was previously under Egyptian control. And Nebuchadnezzar wants to show them that there's a, a new sheriff in town. And what belonged to Egypt now belongs to me, because I defeated Egypt. So he goes to Egypt. In verse 1, it says, In the third 
year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. There he forces the, the nation to surrender to his authority. And there's three signs of their surrender. Number one, their king was given into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 2, it says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. According to 2 Chronicles 36 and verse 6, he was bound with a bronze chain to be taken to Babylon, but he was allowed to remain in, in Judah to become a vassal, basically a, a puppet king who was forced to pay Babylonian taxes. The vessels of Judah were also taken, the religious vessels, Daniel 1 and 2, it says the Lord gave the king, and along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Uh, the chief deity of Babylon was a God by the name of Marduk, and uh, there was a temple that was dedicated to him in a place known as, uh, uh, the temple was known as Esagila. It was uh, 660 feet on its longest side. It had uh, vast courtyards that surrounded it, chambers, and uh, according to a Greek historian Herodotus, he says that it was filled with treasures, the spoils of, of war. Vessels from the house of God were added to that collection. Basically, it was like a, a museum where you could go and see all the the, the different nations that Babylon had defeated would have been considered a victory for Marduk. But the Lord would eventually take his vessels back. <laughs> eventually take them back. And the third sign of surrender is the sons of Judah were given into his hands. The king ordered Ashpenaz, verse 3, chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family of the nobles. That's the historical background in verses 1 through 4. That's the context. But the conflict is introduced to us in verse 5. And what's the conflict? Look at verse 5. It says, The king appointed for them, these, these nobles, these members of the royal family, he appointed for them a daily ration from his choice food and the wine which he drank. And why is that a conflict? Drop down to verse 8. It says, But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. There it is. That's the conflict. He couldn't stomach the cafeteria food in Babylon. That's the conflict. And the question is, why is this a point of controversy? Why, why does this become the conflict? Out of all the things to object to, why pick the food as the hill to die on? And if you look through the list that we have here, I mean, there's a number of controversial decisions that Nebuchadnezzar made that he could have objected to, right? I mean, the national security is removed, the visible authority is removed, my king's walking around like an animal with a bronze chain around him, the religious ceremonies are disturbed, you're bringing the vessels of our temple into to Babylon, you took us from our homes, we've been kidnapped, you even changed my name. I actually like my name, you know. You changed my name, my individual identity. You know, we hear a lot about uh, identity theft, you know, Nebuchadnezzar is the identity thief. You know, now you're going to have a different name. Everything's stolen from you. But in the midst of all of that, there's this one display of unexpected kindness. And what's that? Nebuchadnezzar offered them food from his own table. Everything else, they didn't object to. You don't see any protest. But here, in the one act of kindness in the midst of all of that, you know, I'm going to offer you food from my very own table. And that's what they say. Uh-uh, uh that's, that's taking it too far. That, that's, that's enough. That's enough. I'm not going to eat the food from your table. This is the kindness in all this. 
They're appointed a, a daily ration from the king's food. Appointed to eat what he ate, drink what he drank. A refusal of this kindness would have been interpreted as a supreme sign of disrespect. Out of all the things that you would bother me with, you're going you're to bother me about some kindness that I've extended to you? That's what you're going to protest? But out of all the possible areas to protest, this is where they take their stand. And out of all the reasons to protest, they focus on this act of kindness. Why this? Because to protest anything else would have been personal. Or maybe out of retaliation or a demonstration of disapproval. But the protest of the food was strictly biblical. It's a biblical protest. Daniel and his friends did not object to reading their literature, learning their language, answering to their names. But they would not defile their conscience, and they would not defile their bodies, and they would not disobey God. That's, that's where the, the line was. That's the primary issue here. I will not defile myself. Verse 8 says it twice. I will not defile myself. He went to the officials that he might not defile himself. That word defile, it's a word that means to make unclean, to stain. And it's clear in this context that what Daniel is concerned about is a a purity in relationship to the law of his God. Which is exactly what his enemies understood about Daniel later on in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 5. When they were looking for accusation against Daniel, they said, we'll not find any. We'll not find any grounds of accusation against this Daniel unless we find it against him with regard to the law of his God. That's that's where Daniel draws the line. The law of his God. And that's the kind of defilement that we're talking about here. Under the Mosaic Covenant, which Daniel was still under at this time, there were certain restrictions about the kinds of food that he was permitted to eat. Both in Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy chapter 14, it includes categories of of animals which were clean and unclean to eat and even the way that they were to be prepared and this was a list that was given in Leviticus 11 and verse 47 it says this list was given to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the edible creature and the creature which is not to be eaten and Daniel took that list seriously as we covered a few weeks ago uh, in Christ we're no longer under the Mosaic Covenant We needed a a new covenant. We need a new covenant, and that covenant comes through Christ. In uh, Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 8, it says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. That's the Mosaic covenant, when he led them out of Egypt. And that new covenant that we receive doesn't include restrictions around meat. Actually, in uh, Mark 7 and 19, it says Christ declared all foods clean. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 16, it says no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink. But this was a time when those dietary laws were still binding. And Daniel says, I I refuse to defile myself. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to become one of the covenant breakers. And in addition to this uh, clear dietary restriction, Leviticus 11 and Deuteronomy 14, Daniel might have also been considering another place that the Lord spoke about what was to be eaten. Why don't you flip back to Exodus 34? Exodus 34. In Exodus 34, we see the, uh, the two tablets of the law being replaced. Remember, Moses broke the initial ones because 
He saw that the people were already breaking the, the laws at the, the bottom of Mount Sinai. This also uh, is the place where we learn about the Lord revealing himself and passing by Moses. But look at what God says after he allowed his glory to pass by in front of Moses and committed himself to going with the people of Israel to the promised land and driving out the nations. God gives some specific instructions to the children of Israel. They were not to make a, a covenant with the people of the land to which they were going, and they were not to make space for them to settle down with them. And in verse 13, it lets us know why. Look at verse 13. It says, but rather, instead of, you know, giving them space and, you know, kind of joining together with these people of the lands, I'm, the people that I'm throwing out, he says, but rather you are to tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, cut down their asherim, for you shall not worship any other God for the Lord, whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they play the harlot. They would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and someone might invite you to eat of his sacrifice. That was restricted. You're not, you're not to join in any of the, the false sacrifices and eat of their false sacrifices. And in Babylon, the food that was at the king's table was actually food that was sacrificed to the idols, served before the idols, and later shared with his court. It was part of the, the sacrifice. Actually, one commentator says the image, the false image, the false gods, the image was fed in a ceremonial fashion, accompanied by music from offerings and the produce of the temple land and flocks. When the god was eating, he was at least in there in later times, hidden from view, even the priests by linen curtains surrounding the image in his table. When the god had eaten, the dishes from his meal were sent to the king for consumption, because obviously the false gods can't eat. So uh, it's shared with the king, and the king shares it with his court. It's part of this whole process. The connection that would have been made in Babylon is that they were being invited to eat the food of their sacrifice. It's not merely that this meat was once offered to an idol, like what we find in 1 Corinthians 8, you know, where Paul says, hey, don't, don't worry about the meat. Don't ask where it came from. No, no, this was different. This was like in the process. You know, we offered it to the God, and now it comes to us. It was kind of part of this process to come and invite you to eat the meal of this sacrifice that we've offered up to our false gods. There was a, a closer connection here, which may explain why Daniel also refuses the wine and not just the meat. Though there was no restriction on the wine in the Old Testament. There was a restriction on the meat. Uh, an older commentator, uh, Kyle, says this, the partaking of the food brought to them from the king's table was to them contaminating. Not so much because the food was not prepared according to Levitical ordinance or perhaps consisted of flesh of animals, which to the Israelites were unclean. For in this case, the youths were not under the necessity of refraining from the wine. But the reason of their rejection of it was that the heathen at their feast offered up in sacrifice to their gods a part of the food and drink and thus consecrated their meals by a religious rite, whereby he who participated in such a meal participated in the worship of idols." And if that's the case, which I believe it is, this is more than just four Hebrew boys trying to stick to their diet. This is more than just a simple food fight. This was a battle of the gods. That's what this is. This is a battle of the gods. Think about it. What Daniel and company are actually doing in the rejection of this food is they're declaring, you know what? Those gods are no gods at all. 
I'm not participating in your sacrifice to your false gods because I do not accept your gods. And I've made up in my mind that I will not defile myself with your gods and any sacrifice associated with your gods. So there's a much more significant statement that they're, they're making in this refusal. They're, they're declaring which altar they're going to bow at. It was a battle of the gods, and Daniel understood this to be a matter of worship. And Christian, you're faced with a similar kind of decision all the time. What, what, does, what do your decisions say about the altar that you're going to bow at? What am I saying when I give in to pornography or some illicit sexual relationship for the sake of temporary pleasure? I'm telling you which, which altar I'm going to bow at. That's what I'm telling you. It's, it's a battle of the gods is what it is. What am I saying when I'm willing to, to lie or deceive or manipulate the truth for the sake of advancing my career? I'm willing to put aside the law of God in order to advance myself. What am I saying there? I'm, I'm telling you which altar I'm bowing at. What am I saying when I'm willing to make sacrifices to go everywhere else but the house of worship? I'm, I'm telling you which altar I'm bowing at. What am I saying when I'm, I'm willing to set aside my convictions for the sake of, of peace with family and friends? I, I'm, I'm not going to say what I know needs to be said because I don't want to sacrifice this relationship. I might lose the relationship. You're telling me which altar you're bowing at. What am I saying when what people think about me is more important than what God thinks about me? It's a battle of the gods. <laughs> That's what it is. Obedience to God has to be more important to you than momentary convenience and benefit. It has to be more important to you than that. And I want to share five principles from this passage that will help you protect your purity in a polluted society, okay? This is Daniel's commitment in verses uh, 8 through 21. We'll try to get through this quickly, all right? Number one, first principle, you need to establish biblical convictions, If you're going to remain pure in a polluted society, you need to establish biblical convictions. Verse 8, Daniel made up in his mind he would not defile himself. And we already covered this, but Daniel's mind was was fixed, it was set, and his convictions were established on Scripture. You know, how, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord is laid for your faith in his excellent word. He he built his convictions on Scripture. And if you're going to be able to protect your purity, In a polluted society, you need to build your convictions on the foundation of his excellent word. That's where your convictions need to be built. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not what? I may not sin against you. Lord, Lord, it's on your word. I've built my convictions on scripture. And that's why I do not sin. That's what prevents me from sin. Anything else that you try to build your convictions on will eventually erode over time. And Daniel had the conviction of Scripture baked in. You know, when your reasoning fails, your experiences fail, your your feelings fail, it's the Word of God that's going to give you strength of conviction. Daniel would have had the privilege of being raised in Judah during the reign of Josiah, who was a good king. And if you remember during the reign of Josiah... A great discovery was made. Actually, why don't you flip with me uh, back to um, to Second Kings, Second Kings chapter uh, twenty-two. What we find is that uh, 
Daniel was raised during the time of Josiah, who was a good king. And during Josiah's day, there was a great discovery that was made. The temple in Jerusalem had been damaged and, and fell into disrepair, and Josiah sent a crew of workmen into the temple, and guess what they discovered? Look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 22, starting at verse 11. What, what, what they discovered was the law of God was buried in the temple. The law of God is here. Verse 11, it says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. He tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, Ahiakim the son of Shaphan, Akbor the son of Micaiah, Shaphan the scribe, and Isaiah the king's servant, saying, Go inquire of the Lord for me and the people and all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that burns against us, because our fathers have not listened to the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And then Josiah began the work of reform. Look at uh, chapter 23, 2 Kings 23, verse 1. It says, Then the king sent, and they gathered to him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem, The king went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord, to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul, to carry out the words of this covenant that were written in his book. And all the people entered into the covenant. Daniel would have grown up in Judah during this time. (laughs) He grew up during the time of the reform. And Daniel committed himself at a young age to keep the covenant of his God. And may God grant us more young people that are committed to the word of God. From a young age, I'm committing myself to keep the word of my God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. We need the the word of God for the, the strength of conviction. And that is to be taught even from a young age. So Daniel would have had an early exposure to the word of God. Early exposure. Growing up in a time of, of revival in Judah. And Daniel would have also witnessed the contrast between Josiah, a king who feared the law of God, and his son Jehoiakim, a king who disregarded the law of God. Jehoiakim was the same king we read about in Daniel chapter 1, who also took the words of Jeremiah the prophet and cut it to shreds with a knife and threw it into the fire. I mean, think about the contrast. This is what Daniel's seeing. He He sees one king, Josiah, who fears the law of God and rips his own clothes in humility. That's Josiah's response to the word of God. I I rip my clothes in humbling myself before God. And then his son, Jehoiakim, hears the word of God and rips up the scroll. (laughs) Think about the contrast. Ripping your garments versus ripping the scroll of the word of God. That's what Daniel saw in his lifetime. Jehoiakim even put a prophet of God to death. And it was during Jehoiakim's reign that Judah was besieged. Daniel witnessed all of that and says, I'm not going down that path. I'm committed to the word of God no matter what. That's where he built his convictions. 
And that's where you need to build your convictions on Scripture. You won't be able to survive in a polluted society if it's based off of your reasoning, opinions, feelings, circumstances, experiences. You need to establish biblical convictions that will not totter. This is firm. I'm fixed. My heart is set on the Word of God. Number two, you need to communicate your convictions with clarity, courtesy, and courage. Look back at Daniel chapter 1 again. Look at verse 8. It says in the the second half of of verse 8, it says, So he sought permission. His mind was fixed. His mind was made up. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. He's seeking permission. And it's clear what he's saying about the sacrifice, what he's saying about the food from the the king's table. He's saying that's defiling. He's, He's clear about that. I might not defile myself. Verse 9, now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. And the commander of the officials said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who's appointed your food and your drink. Why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. Well, there's clarity in what Daniel's asking. He's not beating around the bush. He's not making excuses. He's not trying to circumvent the truth. He's making it crystal clear why I'm asking this request. I do not want to defile myself. You know, sometimes in our effort to avoid conflict, we're tempted to say what we don't really mean. (laughs) You know, we come up with secondary reasons instead of the primary reason. You know, I don't know. You know, let's, let's let's just imagine that our our nation would set aside an entire month to celebrate LGBTQ+. Let's just imagine that that's the case. And your office is throwing some kind of party for a couple that just got engaged, but it's not a man and a woman. How would you respond? Would your response be, you know what, I'd like to, but I've really got a lot of work to do today. I'm sorry I can't join you. You know, I really don't do parties. I've got another engagement during that time. You know, sorry, I won't be able to join you for that. Or would it be something like, you know, the Bible is clear about that, and I don't want to defile myself. <laughs> Maybe you're visiting a, a family member, and they, they practice some other religion, and they believe that it's proper in a way of respect to participate. You know, you need to participate in what we're doing. You know, part of the family. It's just a family event, but in what they're doing, it's a, a false religion. Would you just make other plans and say, hey, I'm sorry I can't join you? You know, I'm really busy right then. Or would you say, you know what, the Bible is clear about that, and I I don't want to defile myself. It was clear why Daniel was refraining from the food. It's not not just because, you know, I'm I'm really careful about eating other people's food. (laughs) I'm really, really careful about that, so I can't can't eat with you today. That's, That's not what he says. He's clear about why he's not doing it. I'm not doing it because it's defiling. That's against the law of my God. But he was respectful about it. <laughs> he's courteous about it. That's the, the next point here. It's, the text says he sought permission. And he's not seeking permission to be obedient. I want you to understand that, okay? He's not seeking their permission to be obedient. He's seeking their permission to do what he knew that he had to do. This is what I've got to do. He was appealing, appealing to their authority to grant a legal exception to their rule. He's committed to obedience. We'll see that that later on. But Daniel was seeking to be respectful to the authorities above him. And Daniel was granted favor from God in their eyes. In verse 9, it says, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. He was respectful about it. 
which is why they responded in the way that they did. So he's, he's being kind. I'm reminded of my, my friend James Coates up in Canada who's treated with kindness by the same police officers that, that came to arrest him because he was courteous. He was respectful. You know, I'm not here to, 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 to be a nuisance, but I, I still can't budge on my convictions. He's kind about it, but he's clear about it. You know, sometimes there's not a, a process to make an appeal. It's not always required, but when the time comes, you need to be able to state your convictions with clarity and also with charity. Be, be courteous in the way that you reject the invitation. You need to speak with clarity, charity, and you also need to speak with courage. Look at verse 10. It says, And the commander of the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who's appointed your food and your drink. Why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king. And at this point in the narrative, we get a little insight into the character of Nebuchadnezzar. The commander of the officials says that he's afraid of the king and that this king would not think twice about lopping off my head. If he's unable to make good on these captives from Judah, it's my life that's at risk. Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to remember, was a war general. This is a military leader. This is a killer. <laughs> he's a man of bloodshed, and he's prepared to execute his own servants if they don't do what he desires. In chapter 2, later on, we'll see that Nebuchadnezzar was prepared to execute all of his wise men over a dream. <laughs> Everybody's dead. You know, kill them all if they can't interpret this dream. And not only did they have to interpret it, they got to tell me what the dream was. And he's prepared to kill all of them if they can't produce. This is the kind of man that Nebuchadnezzar is. So if Daniel's going to stay committed to this Jewish diet, it's going to take some courage, right? He's going to be presented before this king. And it would be written all over his face if this plant-based diet wasn't working. You know, the symbol of, of beauty in, in our day is a, you know, a lean body, a lean face. The picture of, of beauty in the ancient Near East was a full body and a full face. That's the sign of health. Psalm 73 speaks about those who were envied. It says in Psalm 73 in verse 4, There is no pains in their death, and their body is fat. That was the sign of health. That, that, was, that, was the, that was what you were aiming for. You know, some of us have been born in the wrong century, right? And it's like, the health magazine in Babylon would have had the picture of a full body and a full face on the front cover. They, they didn't value the people who looked malnourished. And when you're losing weight, you can often see it first in what? In your face. You can see it first in your face. They, they wouldn't have been able to hide it with clothes that they were losing weight. So here, Daniel says, I, I, I can't eat the food that everybody else is getting fat off of, um, but I got to stick to my guns. I, I, can't, I can't do anything different. So Daniel risks his life, and even in this case, there's this officer who's over him that's kind of putting his life at risk because I, I can't do anything different. What else can I do? You know, if there was a time that Seemed like he should have made an exception. It would have been here, right? But Daniel was dead serious about his purity. And my question is, are you? Does, does your purity have a price tag on it? You know, you're, you're willing to be pure until it's going to cost me. <laughs> until it's going to cost me. Or would you be willing to lay it all on the line for the sake of honoring your commitment to the Lord? 
The only way that you'll be able to do that is if you establish biblical convictions and if you're able to communicate your convictions with clarity, courtesy, and courage. The third one here, you need to relentlessly pursue your convictions. Pursue obedience. Relentlessly pursue obedience. Look at verse 11. It says, But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who were eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. And at this point, Daniel turns his attention from the commander of the officials to the overseer who was appointed over him. So he goes from the boss to his immediate supervisor, which shows us again that Daniel wasn't planning to budge. He wasn't planning on changing anything. He was relentless in his pursuit of obedience. So I can't get it from him, I'll go to you. (laughs) How about you? Will you let me get away with it? And he's creative in his proposal. You know, just, just give me 10 days to see if it makes a difference. Just, just 10 days. That's all I'm asking for, right? And it's important to point out that, that Daniel and his friends don't have a word from God about what their appearance would look like in 10 days. You got you to keep that in mind. They, they have no idea what they're going to look like in 10 days. It wasn't revealed to them what the outcome would be. All that was revealed to them is that they couldn't compromise. All I know is I got to obey God. Give me, give me 10 days and just see what happens at the end of those 10 days. Sometimes people wonder, you know, if I, if I, if I stand up for the Lord, am, am I going to keep my job? Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Will I, will I lose my relationship with this family member if I, if I do this? Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Will my opportunities to advance in this world be eliminated if I... Take a stand for the Lord. If I don't give in to the cultural pressure around me, is the Lord going to protect me in this by keeping my job? Maybe. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. We don't, we don't have any guarantees on that. But that's where we have to just leave that into the hands of the Lord, don't we? Like, I, I, I focus on making sure I'm doing what he asked me to do. I, I will be obedient, and I'll leave the results in the hands of God. Just move forward with what you know and see what God does. And they were willing to trust their lives into the hands of God, and if they perish, they perish. That's the kind of attitude they have at this point. In in verse 13, he says, Let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food, and deal with your servants according to what you see. Basically, he's saying, just do what you got to (laughs) do. Do what you got to do. See what we look like in 10 days, and and after that, just just do what you got to do. If it doesn't work after 10 days... He's not saying, you know, if it doesn't work, we'll start eating the king's meat. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying this is what we will do. He says, you do what you have to do. I already know what I have to do. I'm saying after the 10 days, you do what you have to do. Deal with your servants according to what you see. This is a relentless pursuit of obedience, a pursuit of purity. And finally, they got their their break. Look at verse 14. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. We don't know if the overseer went back to the commander or if he just gave him the permission on his own. We don't know what happened. But what we do know is that these youths established biblical convictions, communicated those convictions, relentlessly pursued those convictions, and God is sovereign over the decisions of even pagan, unbelieving men, isn't he? <laughs> in Proverbs 21, verse 1, it says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. And now they just have to trust God with the results. Trust God with the results. 
Again, you need to keep in mind that even though we know how the story ends, they didn't. They're placing their lives into the hands of God. They're at the mercy of the overseer, the commander. At the end of these 10 days, what did he see? Verse 15, at the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better. They were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. And it's important to point out here that the results of this 10 days is not the natural byproduct of a vegetarian diet. This, this is not the proof text for the Daniel fast or the Daniel plan or 40 days to a healthier life. This is not where you want to go, guys. Okay, this is not where you want to go. You shouldn't leave here saying, you know, Christians, if we could only get back to Daniel's diet, we'd all be able to take charge of our health again. That is not what's going on here in the book of Daniel. Actually, if you pay attention to the text, it says that they were fatter than all the youths. Maybe that's not what you're going for, <laughs> but that's what the result of the Daniel diet was. They, they were fatter than all the youths. It's a clear intervention of God. And we're not to look at this as some kind of natural explanation for their appearance. You know, they were eating these vegetables, so they, they, they became healthier than all the other people. That's, that's not what's going on here. You know, like I said, the scale is going in the opposite direction. By only eating vegetables and drinking water, the scale is going in the opposite direction of where some of you might want it to go. And what's even more clear is that God is intervening in this. This is, this is miraculous, Okay. This is miraculous. Look at verse 17, Daniel 1 and verse 17. It says, as for these four youths, in addition to, you know, them, them being seen as, you know, being healthier than the, the rest of the, the youths, you know, fatter than the rest of the youths. Look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Again, that is not the result of the fast. You know, some people even say, and I've, I've, I've read it, you know, that as a result of the Daniel fast, you know, you'll draw closer to God. You know, you'll be able to understand visions and dreams or whatever else. You know, as a result of, of sticking to vegetables and, and water. Do you understand that this is all from the Lord? Did you read the text there? God gave them. This is the doing of God. This is all from the Lord. They were not responsible for these results. You're, you know, whatever you had for breakfast is not responsible you know, for, for being granted knowledge and intelligence from the Lord. That's not where you want to go. This has nothing to do with dieting for health reasons. The Jews ate meat, praise the Lord. <laughs> and so did Jesus. You know, he ate fish, he ate lamb. Jesus ate meat. The miracle here is not about the diet. It's about what God did in spite of the diet. And it didn't take 40 days, it only took 10. And I should mention this, obedience and faith in God does not always give us the results we're looking for in 10 days. We, we may have to persevere for a long time without seeing any results. We may not see the results on this side of eternity at all for your faithfulness to God. Hebrews chapter 11, why don't you flip there real quick. Hebrews chapter 11. In a great chapter of, uh, of faith, we read about those who did great exploits for God because of their faith. But look at, look at verse 33, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse... 33. Actually, I'll start at verse 22. It says, And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, 
who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. I wonder where he got that from. Quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Look at all that's done by faith. We, we, we love that, don't we? Look at verse 37. What else happened by faith? They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. We don't really like that so much. But we're not responsible for the results. We're to be obedient and walk by faith, right? We're not responsible for the results. And the last thing here is they were, in addition to establishing biblical convictions, communicating your convictions, pursuing your convictions, trusting God with the results of your convictions, you also need to be prepared to stand out because of your convictions. Back to to Daniel 1 and verse 18. It says, then at the end of the the days which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Those who live life without compromise are walking the road less traveled. (laughs) And one way or another, you will stand out. Whether you're ill-treated or well-respected, you will stand out if you build your life on the scriptures. And Daniel and his friends had the privilege of standing out. Verse 19 says, Out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're distinguished amongst all their peers. Summa cum laude, graduated. But their distinction went even beyond their peers. They were viewed as ten times better, look at verse 20, ten times better than the king's personal servants. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. You know what that means? You know, these magicians, these conjurers, they would have been older, more experienced men who the king already had serving for him in his court. And the king found these teenagers ten times better than them. Psalm 119, verse 99 says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Verse 100 says, I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. Don't don't buy into the lie that that somehow your commitment to Scripture will, will place you at a disadvantage intellectually. You know, you will have more insight and understanding if you follow this book, okay? You will have more insight and understanding if you follow this book than if you had all the knowledge in the world. You know, some of you made the decision, you know, to pull your children out of public school. And some of you uh, made decisions to pull your children out of maybe certain classes in the public school. Hey, I don't want my child, you know, doing this or that. I've had to do that in the past. And maybe you're wondering, you know, am I putting my child at a disadvantage intellectually because I've done this? Don't buy into the lie that somehow your commitment to Scripture will put you at a disadvantage intellectually. We may not have more information than the unbeliever does, but we have a, a better understanding of what to do with the information, don't we? <laughs> and don't forget that this is, again, the battle of the gods. And the best food, the best learning, the best literature in Babylon was no match for the God of the Scripture. 
Water and vegetables and the word of God was all that they needed. And these magicians and conjurers would have been committed to idolatry, witchcraft, speaking to the dead, trying to discern the will of, of the gods by you know, examining the, the intestines of dead animals. That's the kind of thing that they got into. But Daniel and his friends had the word of God, and they understood more than all of the teachers, more than all the aged. There is no comparison between the false religions of the world and the God of Scripture. Psalm 96, verse 5 says, All the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. And if you're here today, and you have not bowed your knee to the one true and living God, I want you to know that there's no comparison. There's no comparison. And even when it looks like the Christians are losing, we're still winning. (laughs) And God will make a separation between those who have trusted in him by faith and those who rely on their own devices. In uh, Philippians 2, it says, uh, Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God, above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. God will make a separation between the believer and the unbeliever. We'll appear as lights in the world, full of corruption. We will be distinguished if we trust in God, if we dedicate ourselves to the Lord. Like I said, you could be ill-treated for that, or you could be well-respected for that. But you leave those results in the hands of God. I'm I'm going to allow you to do whatever you want with my life, Lord. I put my life into your hands. But we are the lights of the world, and we stick out because of our obedience to the King of Kings. Amen? Amen. But before I close, there's just one more thing I want to point out. Because even though we see Daniel here as a shining example of purity and devotion to God, we can't overlook the fact that this nation was suffering the judgment of God because their lack of purity. That's why they're here. That's what Daniel prays over in chapter 9, remember that? I pray to the Lord, O my God, confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant, love and kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly, rebelled, even turning aside from your commandments and ordinances. So my question for you is, is what's the hope for those who have become defiled? What's the hope for for defiled sinners like us? What's the hope for those who've spent some time feasting at Nebuchadnezzar's table? What's the hope for them? What's the hope for those who've been following the prince of the power of the air, giving in to the temptations around you? What's the hope then? The question is, what do I do with my defilement? Because I know I've sinned. I've I've compromised too many times to count. I've given into pornography or illicit sexual relationships for temporal pressure. I've been willing to lie and manipulate the truth for the sake of advancing my career. I'm willing to sacrifice everything to to do what I want, but not for the worship of God. I'm willing to set aside my convictions for the sake of peace. What what does God do with people like, like me? You know, people who who are willing to sacrifice their convictions because of of convenience. I remember in in high school, there was a a young lady who came to me and and said, uh, I'm pregnant. I'm thinking about having an abortion. What do you think? And in my mind, immediately what came to mind is like, you shouldn't have an abortion. But I was also fearful because I had been with that girl in high school. Now willing to compromise what I thought because of convenience? 
I wasn't saved at the time. Thank God that even during that time, I still told her to keep the child, and it wasn't mine. <laughs> what, are, what are you willing to sacrifice for convenience, for advancement, for temporary pleasure? What are you willing to sacrifice? How many times have you sacrificed the word of God to save your own skin? Hebrews seven twenty six says, For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, listen to this, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Where, where do defiled people go? They go to the one who is undefiled, separated from sinners, the one who lived the perfect life, who gave his life on the cross as a substitute for those who would turn to him and trust in him. That's where defiled sinners go. That's where you need to go. That's the only place to go. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you, Lord, and uh, we're just so grateful for the opportunity to uh, lift our hearts up before you in prayer. Uh, Lord, to, to know that even defiled sinners can go to the cross to the one who, who lived perfectly, uh, to the one who sacrificed himself for our sins, for our defilement. And all of our defilement was placed on him. All of our pollution was placed on him. And then you, Father, poured out your wrath upon him so that guilty sinners could go free. Guilty sinners could stand before you as, as undefiled free from all corruption, all contamination. Father, that's what you've done. We are so grateful, God. And today, as we prepare our hearts for communion, Father, I pray that you would help us to examine ourselves before you. Father, that we would, again, just remind ourselves of the, the cross and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And Father, I pray that, that you, Lord, would be glorified and honored. And this day we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to George Lawson, Jr. of Baltimore Bible Church. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events and where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserves all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating all printed media, CDs, and digital files.